Welcome to Passion Life Church. Today, I've simply entitled today, Focusing on Freedom. And we're going to talk about overcoming condemnation in your lives. And let me just say one more thing. Um, usually when I preach, um, I, 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 it just really depends on the series. A lot of times people tell me, man, today was hilarious. I laughed so hard. As a youth minister, I had a kid come up to me and say, Pastor Phil, I just I'm embarrassed to tell you, but today was so funny. I peed and I said, well, can you show us which chair so we can clean it? But some series lends to humor and some series are more story oriented. And, and I know, and I know in our generation, even as we get older, our attention spans are just going. But listen, I don't want to compromise today the word of God. And I'm going to say what I said last week. You're not going to be able to turn to every scripture or else this series would last five months. But if you will, look at the screen and write down the scriptures and go home and look in your word and let God speak to you. So today's there's going to be scriptures, there's going to be points. Can you track it? Can you do good with me? Can you follow along with me? Is that all right? So let's talk about overcoming uh, condemnation. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 5. You can set there, and uh, I'm going to read some scriptures to you. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. Now look, isn't it interesting that the law... And Moses are together, but grace and truth are on the side of Jesus. And look at, I love this because it says grace and, grace and truth came. Moses gave the law, but here grace came. In other words, the Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek word for came near, it means it drew near to you. Grace today is drawing near to you because of Jesus. And so when Jesus came on the scene, grace came on the scene. And this is what perplexed many of the religious Sadducees and Pharisees because they were staunch, keep the law. And here comes Jesus. He's actually healing people on the Sabbath. And they're like, what's going on? But they didn't understand that grace was coming to them. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says this. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under what? Come on, say it. Grace. You are under grace. And this is the question People ask, well, if you preach grace, are people going to sin more? Look at verse 15. Paul says this. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means? I think that's an interesting question. I think it's going to help answer a lot today when people say, if you talk about grace, people are going to sin more. Okay, so if I talk about, sick, if I talk about healing, people are going to get sick. Does that make sense? So if I talk about how God wants to prosper you, everybody's going to get poor. So if I talk about grace, everybody's going to go and sin. What you're going to find out is that grace is what it is, and it will help you to overcome what you are trying to overcome. Let's talk about living free today. You know, if you don't know our story, um, my wife and I moved here from El Paso, Texas. Yeehaw! We don't do that in Texas, but I thought you think we do that in Texas. 
And we moved to California, and I love living in California. I, I really do. I mean, I just, I, I love living in California. I tell my friends all the time, we live in other people's vacations. Come on, somebody. And here's what's ironic. Yeah, you can give California a good round of applause. You better like it, because it's going to be like heaven when we, when we, when we get there. But I, I tell my friends, we live in other people's vacation. How ironic. I lived in El Paso, Texas, growing, you know, go, and we'd come to vacation in California. Now I live in California, and I go to vacation in Texas. Come on, what's wrong with this? People are asking me all the time, my friends that don't live here, they say, how do you acclimate? To, are you acclimating to the culture of California? I said, I am. And if you're here, and I know that we do have people, that a lot of our church is growing by people that are, are moving from either California or other parts of the, of, you know, outside of, of, of California. And let me just help you out. Here's how you, how you get accustomed to the Cali culture. And just real, real easy. Use the word organic as much as you can in sentences all day. People will love you. They will love you. And even if you don't eat organic, it's a, and I'm used, I'm learning. Hey, Phil, how's the church? Is it growing? Oh, yeah, we're growing organically. I think I'm going to come to that church. Try to use the words gluten-free as many times as you can, and you will gain like 20 new friends. That easy. Gluten-free. That's why I always tell people Passion Life Church is a gluten-free church. <laughs> and who the sun sets free is gluten-free indeed. Come on, somebody. Use gluten-free. And here's another one. You want to gain friends? Tell everybody you know you are lactose intolerant. And you will have like 50 friends. Because everybody now is lactose intolerant. Can I ask you, I don't know and I don't understand it, but 30 years ago we did not have lactose intolerant. You know what it was called 30 years ago? A tummy ache. But I know, and I don't know what happens as we get older. You know, I eat ice cream sometimes myself, and I'm walking down the hallway like this, and my wife's going, what's wrong? I'm lactose intolerant. I will be back. I will be back. I will be back. But that's just some good ways to just, you know, just acclimate to the culture. Use those gluten-free, organic, lactose intolerant. You will fit right in. Can I have a good amen? Amen. But I love California. I love going to the beach, you know, you're an hour from the beach and maybe two hours from the snow. And, but I love going to the beach. I love sitting there. I used to surf a little while back uh, when I was a teenager. And I not really surf, but it was more bodyboarding. And then I got hit in the head with a surfboard and I never went back surf, surfing again. But I don't know if you've ever gone into the ocean or you find your little, everybody has their beach they like to go to. And I go to Oceanside or I go to Mission Beach or I go to, you know, uh, Coronado Island and wherever you go. But I don't know if you've ever swam or got into a place where you just jump into the ocean. And, and uh, I love the ocean, but if you were to just jump into the ocean and you started swimming and all of a sudden you saw a sign that says, no swimming here. Sharks spotted. And you would be like, well, you know, this is my favorite place. I, I, you know, and maybe you, you would be mad. You would be angry at the person who put up the sign. And you would think, man, my day is ruined. I took time off of work to come to my, to my favorite beach. But you know what? The law is like that sign. The law is like that sign. And that sign, what it does is it makes you conscious of sin. That was the purpose of the law, that you would be conscious of sin. But here's the reality about that sign that says, do not swim. The sign doesn't get rid of the sharks. So here's what we need to understand about the law. 
The law makes us conscious of sin, but the law was never designed to save you. Jesus came to save you. Listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It talks about the law. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sin nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we, were, we, have, we're sin, we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son. Anybody thankful? He gave us his son. And... and and sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So the sign makes us conscious of our sins, but it's grace that saves us from our sins. Amen. And it's important that we know that. Because all the, the, you can swim. And what's funny about it is because we'll look at a sign that says don't swim here. And we get all, you know, upset. But yet there's tons more ocean to swim in. You can actually swim freely in other oceans, but here's what happens. We get distracted by that sign. This is what happened to Eve in the garden. You know, in the garden, what happened is that the enemy comes, and this is what sin does. Sin always deceives people by misusing the law. See, the law was holy. There's nothing wrong with that sign. There's nothing wrong with the sign. But here's what happened. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent deceived Eve by taking her focus off her freedom and putting it on the focus of the restriction of one tree. You know what's interesting to me is that God told them you can eat freely of any tree in the garden. Ladies and gentlemen, our God is a God of freedom. And isn't it interesting that just because she couldn't eat of one tree, because she wasn't focused on her freedom, she became focused on the one tree that she couldn't have. Sounds like human nature. It sounds like human nature, but you know what? Man fell because they took their eyes off freedom and put it on a sign. And what happened was, is it looked good to Eve. Why? Because God said no. Let me just tell you this, for those of us that are parents, you can't always tell your kids no. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. Because here's what happens. They don't understand the heart behind your no. All is they understand is mom says no, mom says no. And then here's what starts to happen. Why did mom say no? Maybe because it's fun. And mom is a cosmic killjoy. Mom's no fun. Look at her. And you know what? Today, my goal is for you to understand God's heart behind the law, not just to see do's and don'ts. You know what I did with my son the other day is that he's now learning how to jump out of the truck. But sometimes when he jumps out of the truck, there is cars coming that way. And so I've been teaching him ever since he was small. We always stop right when we park and we say, Gavin, look both ways. So he looked both ways, right? I'm, there's some rules to life, right? Look both ways before we cross the street. So sometimes we're about to cross the street. And I say, Gavin, did you look both ways before we cross? Yeah, dad. You see that car? There's a car. Okay, good. Now let's cross the street. Well, the other day we pulled into Albertson's and uh, I got out of my car and he ran around and I saw him and I said, Gavin. And he said, dad, 
I looked both ways. And I thought, see, he understands my heart. He's doing what we asked because he understands dad's heart is to protect him and to love him. But he's not doing it just because I said, don't cross the street. He's understanding that his father has a heart for his life. And so many times with the law, we just look at the law. And what happens is we look at that don't swim sign. And here's what Paul, we're going to read in Romans chapter 7. Have you found it? Paul is going to talk to us about what happens when he looks at the don't swim sign and what begins to happen in his consciousness. Romans chapter 7 verse 5 says this. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. So what aroused his sinful flesh? The law, right? So he says the sinful passions were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Sin always bears death. The wages of sin is always death. So let me give you another example. If you were to walk in here today... You were having fun. You got your coffee and you're ready for service. And all of a sudden you looked over and you saw on that back wall that there was a sign that said, do not touch wet paint. Now, if you were like me, I want to touch it because the sign says, do not touch it. Now, bear with me. There are many other walls that I could put my hands on. But I don't want to do that. You know what I want to do? I want to touch the one that you told me not to touch. Who are you to tell me what wall I can't touch? MC Hammer tried to tell me that a while back. Can't touch it. I will touch whatever I want, MC Hammer. Because what happens? That sign arouses my flesh. But you know what's interesting? Is that there's so many other walls. But until I saw the sign... Now I start to think about stuff. What would it be like to touch that wall? Maybe I'll leave my fingerprint in the wall. Maybe I'll write my initials in the wall. Don't tell me I can't touch that wall. And Paul's saying, when I see this law, here's what happens in my flesh. You tell me no, and all of a sudden in my flesh rises up these desires. Am I helping anybody today? So listen, and he says, when I see that, my flesh arises and I sin. And I want you to know something. And just remember, the letter in the middle of sin is I. It's always about I, 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 I. And if you read Romans 7, Paul starts to talk about these conflicting thoughts. There's things I want to do, but I don't do. And then the things that I don't want to do, I start to do. Look, look, jump down to verse 19. He says this, for I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Come on, Paul, be real. Paul's being real. I love this. He's like, have you ever had that? Why did I do that? Why, why did I do that? Verse 20, now if I do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close hand. Anybody relate with that at points in your life? But look what he says in verse 22. But for I delight in the law of God, where, 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 where? In my inner being. 
So my flesh is like, don't tell me what to do. And then you know what? My inner being is like, oh, I love you, God. I want to please you. Look at verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's talking about the flesh. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Let me remind you, this is the apostle Paul. Paul, who's writing this, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now ready? I read you all of that to get to this verse right here, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It is the most famous, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Then Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So after many years of Bible college, I learned whenever you see therefore, you have to look at what it's there for. That is joining what Paul said in chapter 7 to verse 8. He says, I got all of these things going on in my mind. I see the sign. I mess up. I touch the paint. But guess what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this question. How many of you today are in Christ Jesus? Let me see your hand. You are in Christ Jesus. Then you need to know this. There is no condemnation to you because of you. No, because you are in Christ Jesus. And here's how we live free. Let me give you three truths. Number one, you need to receive the gift of no condemnation. You need to receive that gift. Now I'm going to ask you a question. If I were to ask you first, what comes first? Go sin no more, then God will give you no condemnation, or no condemnation, then sin no more. See, they brought to Jesus a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Do I need to explain? Some of you look a little confused when I say that. She was butt naked having sex. That help? All right. Now some of you are smiling. Good. And they caught her in the act. And they took her, probably wrapped her in a sheet, and brought her right in front of Jesus. Now, get this. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And so he's in the temple teaching. And the religious people, the Pharisees, bring a sinner Now, let me ask you this. Was she guilty? Yes, absolutely. She was caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her. And this is what they were doing. They were trying to test Jesus about the law. Now, under the law of Moses, if that would happen, you would get stoned. Not recreationally stoned. I need to say that because it's legal in some places. They'd pick up rocks, and many of them had rocks. And they were asking Jesus, under the law, she is supposed to be stoned. And you know what Jesus does is he gets down, and he begins to write 
on the stone. I used to think it was sand, but then I found out that in the temple, the floor was stone. And Jesus got down and he began to write. And then he said, let him who does not have any sin throw the first stone. And he got down and he wrote again. You know what I have found is that the people who are quickest to throw stones, the ones that are the quickest to throw stones, they love to use the law on other people, but they can't even live the law themselves. I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor. I would rather hang out with sinners than self-righteous people. I would rather hang out with people who are humble and know that they need a savior than people who are picking up rocks ready to throw them because they want everybody to live under the law. And the hypocritical part of that is they can't even live under the law themselves. And the reality of it is none of us can fulfill the whole law. And these people had stones and they were ready to stone this woman for her sin. And Jesus just says, hey, look, the person who has no sin, let him throw the first stone. And what I find interesting is that the people who wanted to throw the stone couldn't because they had too much sin. And Jesus, the one who could throw the stone, didn't. And it's interesting, I never knew why Jesus got down and wrote on the stone. Now I understand. There were two times where God wrote on stone. That was when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The first time he came down, Moses was so angry, he threw down the Ten Commandments and he went back up. And this is what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. He was saying, you presume to tell me the law? I wrote the law. It was my finger on that stone. And then he asked this woman, let's read it, John chapter 8, verse 10. He stood there and he said this to her, woman, where are they that condemn you? Because they all dropped their rocks and they left. And listen to what he says. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, please get this, neither do I condemn you. Go from now and sin no more. You know what Jesus did first? Jesus gave her the gift of no condemnation. And when he gave her the gift of no condemnation, that empowered her to sin no more. It was always taught that if you don't sin, God won't condemn you. That's not what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? Jesus gave her a gift of no condemnation and that gift is what empowered her to go sin no more. My church family, do you think that that woman got up and went back to her lover and jumped back in bed after Jesus did not condemn her? No, you know what she did? She lived a life of gratefulness because it's the grace of God and understanding that you are not condemned that empowers you to sin no no more. Can you say a good amen? amen? That's why I love this because people don't understand the grace of God. Listen to what grace does. In Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it says this, 
It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. What brings salvation? The grace of God brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. My church family, what is it that teaches us to deny ungodliness? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God inside of you that will empower you to live for God. Because the law is going to make you conscious of sin, but it's grace that's going to empower you to live and prevail above the sin. It's grace, 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 grace. And here's what Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, now there is no condemnation. Do you know what now in the Greek means now. Now, I know some of you are like, is it going to be a multiple choice? It means right now. Here's the amazing thing about what Paul wrote under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now is present tense. Right now. Right now. When? Right now. When? Right now. Then? Right now. I messed up yesterday. But now there's no condemnation. Right now. Right now. Now, it's always in your present. You know what's interesting to me is the Bible says that Jesus' blood cleanses us of all unrighteousness. There's a little S on the ends of cleanses. His blood is so alive and so powerful that as I stand here today, his blood is cleansing me of all unrighteousness. And isn't it interesting that I am not under condemnation and I'm being cleansed of his blood, but here's the problem. I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on the sign that says, do not touch. And I'm telling you today, Jesus died on the cross so you could stand free and not condemned. I thought you'd get a little more excited about that. I'm going to be honest. It didn't go like I saw it in my head. But Pastor Phil, my translation says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay. You know what's interesting? In the literal Greek translations in the scripts, it doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation, period. There's no comma. And it was almost like the translators couldn't believe that it was too good to be true. And if you read some of the newer translations where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. And that makes sense to me. I'm going to tell you why. You can't walk after the Spirit without God's grace. It's God's grace that makes you walk after the Spirit. It's his empowering grace Listen, without grace, you can't walk according to the spirit. Without grace, you're going to walk according to the flesh. And the flesh will mess you up. It's God's grace. And that's what I love that Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation. And let me say it because it needs to be said. Because even sometimes when I say it, my religious background just goes, oh, there is nothing that you could ever do. Nothing that you could ever do that God's blood could not cleanse you of. Well, Pastor Phil, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Because I think I did that once or twice in my life. 
Blaspheming the Holy Spirit just basically means that you reject Christ coming into your life. That's why there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no condemnation. But people will not go to heaven because they reject Jesus, his forgiveness, and his blood that was shed. Because in actuality, they think through their works, they are good enough. So today, if you have received Jesus in your heart, listen, you are forgiven and you have no condemnation over your life today. You have no condemnation. When you look at the works of the flesh, you can read those, the works of the flesh, all of those, they are works of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, it doesn't say the work of the spirit. I'm working for the spirit to have joy. It joy is actually a fruit of God's spirit that's already inside of you. But it's the works of the flesh that get you in trouble. Do you know that right now, because God's spirit is inside of you, a fruit of that is joy. There's love inside of you. And you say, Pastor Phil, I just, I don't sense that. I don't feel it. You know why? Because you're not focused on it. You're not focused on the freedom. You're focused on the do not touch the wet paint sign. But inside of you is the spirit and all of his fruit. Do you know that one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control? Self-control comes as a fruit from the spirit being inside of you. So I can stand up here all day and say, you need to control yourself. Wow, you're out of control. You need to control yourself. Well, you're really out of control. That does not help you. You know you're out of control. But you know what? If you get filled with God's spirit, here's what happened. He brings self-control into you and it becomes a fruit of your whole life. Come on, somebody. I think you're starting to get this. And here's what we do in our self-effort. We try and burn, ah, and a joy. You got joy. It's inside of you. Oh, I'm looking for peace. It's inside of you. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is not a work of the flesh. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. I'm looking for peace. It's inside of you. The prince of peace resides right inside of you. But you know what we're thinking about? I'm so condemned. No, you're peaceful. I'm so unrighteous. No, you're righteous. Not because I'm saying it, because his word says it over you. And here, if you want to go sin no more, receive the gift of no condemnation. See, the reason why you keep sinning is because you're under condemnation. But when you realize the freedom that no condemnation brings, you will do what this woman did. You will go and sin no more. Come on, can we just give God a great round of applause? When God gives you the gift of no condemnation, he's given you the power to overcome the cycle of sin. And he does it in advance. Why? Because it was already taken care of on the cross. Here's number two. If we're going to live free, we need to realize God's grace is the root and obedience is the fruit. See, in the old covenant, the root was my obedience. If I did what I had to do and I followed the law, then God would bless me. And that's what's 
was so troubling. You could not fulfill the law by your self-work, your self-effort. You could never do it. So in the Old Testament, the root was my obedience, me. But under the new covenant, his obedience is the root. Listen, his grace is the root. And then my obedience is the fruit. Under grace, God blesses you first. Under the old covenant, you had to earn it, you had to work it, and then God would bless it. Under the new covenant, Jesus blesses you first, and then your obedience is a result. Oh, Pastor Phil, I've never heard this before. Let me give you an illustration. You know what? The Bible says, listen, that while you were yet in sin, Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrated his love. When you became lovable, he demonstrated his love. Is that what it says? Because some people aren't that lovable. <laughs> Especially in the Walmart parking lot. But God demonstrates his love towards us when when did it happen? While you were yet still sinners, Christ died. He didn't wait for you to become lovable. He didn't wait for you to become perfect. He didn't wait for all your deeds to be good. He gave when you didn't. He gave his son while you were yet in sin. And that's why his grace becomes the root. And when I respond to what Jesus did, my obedience is the fruit of the root of grace. Let me give you another scripture. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. The word repentance in the Greek means is metanoia, to change their mind. Some of you right now, as we're reading the scriptures, you're changing your mind. You know what? See, I was taught you always had to come up to the altar, snot bubbles, you need to cry, right? And if you didn't stay there for five minutes, no, he didn't repent. Come on, buddy. Keep crying. I know who you are and you are a sinner. You need to stay down there for a couple minutes. And some people don't cry, and so it had nothing to do with that. You know what? Repentance has everything to do with you changing your mind. And today, as we're reading the scriptures, some of you are changing your mind towards God. You're repenting. You're saying, God, no, I want that in my life. And the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. In other words, God gave his goodness before you were good. And he gave his goodness to be the root so you're Obedience of goodness could be the fruit. I'm only good because he's good. I'm only good because he's been good to me. And I know people that they don't know what good even looks like. Because they grew up in families or they grew up in places where everything in their life was evil. How do we know what good is unless we look at the precious son of God? And when we look at him. And he comes into your life. I love this. It says it's the goodness of God. When people see how good he is, they realize how bad their life is. And they say, I want that. And they repent. So it's a, the goodness of God that he gave even before you were good. And that's the great news. Is that under grace, God empowers you to do good. 
You know, everything in life pretty much has a root. It has a root. Sickness can have a root in stress. Some people are sick, right, because of stress. The root is stress. Do you know that stress has a root? And you know what the root of stress is? Fear. Because I can be so stressed out. And think about this. Most of the time when we're stressed out, it's because we're not in faith. We're like, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. We're always thinking the negative. And really what it is, fear, I like to say, is this: it's always fear is an inverted faith. You're actually believing that the worst possible thing could happen into your life. Instead of saying that you're God who can supply all your needs and make all things possible will make that happen. You're like, no, it's going to be a disaster. And sometimes it is. You know why? Because that's what you believe. That's what you spoke over your life. Oh, it's going to be horrible. And then it was horrible. See, I told you so. No, yeah, you told me so. But faith speaks. You know, fear expresses with its mouth. So does faith. Oh, God, you're going to do it. God, you know what? It's all about you. You got, you know what? My life may just seem like all the stuff is going on. But you know what, God? You're holding my life together. But you know what? Stress has a root in fear. And fear has a root too. And you know what the root of fear is? Condemnation. It's condemnation. Because at the end of the day, today you may even be sitting here and you're amen into everything we're saying, but in the secret little part of your mind, you really believe that God's condemning you. And here's what happens. It affects your prayer life. You don't even know what you should pray about or you pray and you're like, I don't even, Lord, if, if you could, you know, I think you may, but ooh, I, I, I thought that last week. So you may not answer my prayer because I thought that last week. Lord, I, I don't, I, some people don't even know where they stand with God because you know what the root of it is? It's condemnation. It's condemnation. And it will rob you of your intimacy with God. And yet Jesus paid the price so you could have a relationship with him. Can I just tell you, all the law will do is give us religion. It doesn't give us relationship. It's God's grace that gives us a relationship with God. And I'm telling you again that you are not condemned because Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you get over that, When the root changes, there'll be different fruit. Well, Pastor Phil, what? I think maybe I've fallen from grace. You know, the Bible talks about falling from grace. And if I were to get a microphone and go out and do a man on the street and I were to ask people, go down to the promenade and I'd say, hey, tell me what you think falling from grace means. Here's what they would say. It means to sin. That when you sin, you have fallen from grace. Okay. If that's what we actually believe fallen from grace, if you, listen, if sin could separate us from grace, then we could never be born again. Listen, Jesus didn't die on the cross because he condoned sin. Jesus died on the cross to abolish it, to cover, to be that sacrifice. What good is grace if sin separates it from you? So let's look at Paul, because Paul's going to address this. What does it mean for a person to fall from grace? Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Ready? It says, Christ is become of no 
effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So when do I fall from grace? When I go back under the law and my good works. Because then it's all about you again. And most people are right here. They're trying to do it, trying to live the Christian life in all of their self-effort. And they wonder why there's no grace in your life. Listen, it's not about you. It's about him in your life. It's not about your works. It's about his finished works. It is finished, ladies and gentlemen. He's taking care of your sin. But the problem is we don't focus on the freedom we focus on on the sin and we come back under the law who has fallen from grace those who are trying to be justified by the law read your bible I never heard Jesus look at a sinner and say you viper you snake you know who he said that to he said that to the religious people and what was their problem outside they looked beautiful but inside they looked like a white tomb of dead man's bones And he looked at him and they said, you snake, you viper. They wanted everybody else to live under the law, but they couldn't do it themselves. Oh, they looked good on the outside trying to please God through their works. Why did Jesus get so mad about that? Can I just tell you why? Because when they were trying to live by their works, they were making Jesus of no effect in their life. If you think you can save yourself, then you don't need Jesus. And Jesus, that scripture, could you put it back up there for me? This gives me goose pimples. Christ has become of no effect unto you. My church family, I need Christ to be affecting me. I need him every day. And your biggest problem is not the devil. Your biggest problem is you. Because you keep looking at yourself and not looking at him. In my church family, we are under a dispensation of God's grace today. And it's troubling. I know it's troubling because all of us, we want to earn stuff. We want to perform. I want the promotion. I want the, you can't perform enough for God. But when his grace comes into your life, you respond by faith and you say, God, I was telling somebody the other day, the Christian life is a life of response. God's already done it. By faith, I just respond to it. God's already said it. I just respond to it. And when I do, when I do, man, there's a lot of things, fruit that starts coming out. See, overcoming condemnation, what happens is you start to become confident in your walk with God. You know, Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find what? Say it loud, come on grace in your time of need. So look, keep that up there. So I have a need. So many people think I have a need. I don't know if I should go to God. I have a need. Well, of course, that's when we come to him. And when we come to him, he says he doesn't want you to come like this, like Igor. (laughs) God, if you have a moment, I know there's a lot going on in North Korea, but if I could just spare a half a second of your time. Listen, you are his son. And you, his daughter. And he says, even when you come, you come boldly to the throne. Look at that. It's the throne of what? Grace. And we come boldly. Why? Because Jesus made a way through his sacrifice that you can stand before the Father and say, Father, I have needs. 
And I believe that you're going to supply those needs. I wonder what our worship would look like if we were not under condemnation. I wonder what our giving would look like if we were not under condemnation. I wonder what our lives would look like if we were not under condemnation. You know what it would be? It would be free. And it would be the freedom that God intended us to happen. Come on, can we give God a great round of applause like we're free this morning? Because you have been called to freedom. Do I need to say it like Braveheart? Freedom! We've been called to freedom. And here's the reality. We look at the sign that says, "Uh uh-uh, don't touch. And we think we're free because I'll touch whatever I want. But in actuality, we get in bondage because we're in bondage to our flesh. And in reality, it's the free person that walks in, sees the sign and says, and keeps walking because they know that they're free. They know that they're free. And here's number three as we close today. It's the truth about living free. So I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from a place of victory. See, we all have struggles. I have my struggles. You have your, there's nobody in here, man. We're all on a journey. Can I hear a good amen? I almost want to post a sign outside that says, no perfect people allowed. We just know. Now keep the religious people out. All of us have stuff. All of us. But you need to know this. And because we have stuff, some of you this today are fighting addictions. You're fighting. I'm fighting my addiction to coffee. Come on, somebody. And I'm praying that they shut down every Starbucks. No, I, I, we, all have, we all have stuff. Can I hear a good amen? amen? Some of you, it's your attitude. And I could go down. I could make a list. But listen, here's what you need to know. You're not fighting for victory. The victory has already been fought for. Jesus already won the victory for you. Can I say this? Jesus didn't need to fight the victory for him. He's victorious. I said Jesus is victorious. Can I tell you another? I know it's not Easter service, but he's still alive. Come on, he's still alive. He is. He's still alive. And that resurrection, are you ready? When he died, we died and identified with his death. But when he rose again, we rose with him. Come on, somebody. That's why Paul said the same spirit. It's not just on Easter. It's not just a celebration. It's an experience that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It will quicken this flesh. This flesh that says, don't tell me what to do. I will do the spirit on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead will help you walk out this Christian life. That's why we have to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. But you can't walk in the spirit without God's grace. We need God's grace. And here's the reality. You're victorious. You don't have to fight for victory. Victory is yours. It's a different mindset. It's a different shift to say that today I am healed. I'm not fighting. I am not a sick person trying to get well. I am a healthy person fighting off sickness. Why? Because Jesus, by his stripes, I was healed 2,000 years ago, even before I got sick. I was healed. And here's where we end today. So many people 
never work out their salvation because they're always still trying to work for their salvation. Do you know Philippians chapter two, verse 12 says this, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, listen to this, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out, hashtag CrossFit. Come on, work out your salvation. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out. What does that mean? I looked it up in the Greek. It says this, see the results of your salvation. You know what the Amplified says this? It says bringing salvation to its full effect in your life, in this life. If I were to ask you today, what does salvation mean? Many people would say, oh, Pastor Phil, it means I got a ticket to heaven. Like Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factor. I got a golden ticket. I got a golden ticket. You are going to heaven. That is great. Pastor Phil, salvation means that I am forgiven of my sins. Yes, all that is true. And guess what? There's much more. The Greek word for salvation is sozo. Would you say that with me? Say sozo. Listen to what it means in the Greek. To deliver out of danger and into safety. Used principally for God rescuing believers from the eternal penalty and the power of sin into his provisions. Listen, inside sozo, it means to save a suffering one from perishing, also to save a suffering one from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore to health. All of that is in one word, salvation. My church family, we don't even get to working out our salvation and learning how the healing works and how the peace works. You know why? Because we're so busy trying to perform to just make sure we get the golden ticket. And there's much more to salvation than saying a prayer. And Paul says, I want you to learn how to work it out. Not only do I want you to know that you are healed, I want you to start laying hands on other people and seeing them healed. I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to know that you're called, that you're not just trying to work for. Let's start working out your calling. Come on, somebody. And God wants you and I to see the full effect of salvation in this lifetime not just the next in this lifetime. And this is why we started Passion Life Church. We wanna see people work out their salvation. We wanna see people who know about the peace of God and are talking to people at work about the peace of God because they understand the peace of God. They're not trying to get the peace of God. They already have the peace of God. And when everybody else at work, you're walking around because you have a smile on your face because you have the joy of the Lord. And people are looking at you going, what's going on? And you say, it's God's spirit inside of me. Let me show you how it works. Working out our salvation. And so many people are living under condemnation. My church family, that's not why Jesus came. John three seventeen. God did not, did not, did not, did not. You need to hear this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him they might be saved. 
Can we stop focusing on condemnation and focused on Christ? Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 